All right. Here we go. Quiet. Welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online, Editor-in-Chief Richard Drees. And seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online Contributing Editor and Coffee Achiever, Natasha Bogutsky. I was trying to do my best Kevin Smith impersonation. <laughs> How'd I do? For, for a man who smokes as much pot as Kevin Smith does <laughs> and professes to do, he is awfully energetic. I know. I do not understand that one bit. He's like Dago Radcliffe. He's four espressos ahead of everyone else, so he needs to slow the hell down. Yes, very much so. <laughs> Yikes. How'd I do, though? Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yay. Yeah, not too bad. Yay. Not too I've been in interview situations with him. So yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. I, I kind of want to get a second question in before my time's up, please. You know? <laughs> in fact, I've, uh, I saw him back when, on one of his first, uh, speaking tours and, um, it was uh, right before they started shooting, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And like the first, you know, he comes out, talks a little bit. Opens it up to Q&A. First person asks a question, and I swear the answer was like 45 minutes long. <laughs> and this was supposed to be just like a two-hour thing, and everybody in, in the line is like, oh, fuck, I ain't getting my question and answered at all, am I? Uh, but he went like three hours or something like that, and then stayed and signed autographs for like another hour, an hour and a half for everybody there. So I give him a lot of credit for his energy and his interaction with fans. Um, and as a fan, I say, I still think some of his output is a little up and down, but we'll get that. We'll get to that. Is in that a your moment. way of saying Tusk? Uh, yes. To begin with, at least. Um, <laughs> Yoga Hoosers. Oh. <laughs> Less said the better. But <clears throat> chasing Amy. Chasing Amy and Dogma are fantastic. Clerks Brilliant. is fantastic. I have a soft spot in my heart for even mall rats because I understand what he's trying to do there in terms of like making uh, an homage to 80s teen comedies mm -hmm. like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and stuff like that. Some of his other stuff. Uh, Clerks too. I really like too. Uh, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot was not good. and It was more nostalgic than it was good. And the thing was, is it could have been brilliant, the idea of Jay having a kid somewhere and him kind of coming to terms with growing up. Mm -hmm. But then we get to Clerks 3 and... We'll, and we'll get to that in a few minutes, though. That's gone. <laughs> we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, but first, um, did you see the news that just broke this morning as we are recording on a Sunday? No. It's a Sunday. I should be in bed right now. It's 9.30. Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Woody Allen has announced that he will be retiring from filmmaking after the release of his next film. What? 86 years old. Now. Never thought that motherfucker was ever going to retire. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who look at... Woody's private life and wish he had retired a long time ago so we never would have had to deal with him again. And I, that's completely understandable. 
as long as he was able to get Midnight in Paris out first, because that movie. I is know just you inc- love that movie. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's. I think that was his last good piece of work. You are probably right, and um, I know I haven't seen anything that's enthused me since that movie of his. Yeah, I mean, I've seen one in Rome. I've seen Cafe Society was okay. Yeah, Cafe Society was kind of like, uh, I sort of see what he's doing here. A rainy day in New York. Was, is Yeah, is. I wanted it to be good. Mm-hmm. I really did, and it just was not. I watched it for Timothy Chalamet at this point. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even get to see Rifkin's Festival. So, and let's not even talk about the shit show that was Wonder Wheel. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, maybe if he did Midnight in Paris as his last film, he would have gone out on a high note there. But sometimes directors don't know when to quit, which is why you know Tarantino made that thing of like I'm doing ten films and then I'm out, and we're just waiting to find out what number ten is gonna be. Mm. I wish it would be that Star Trek film, but I mean, Tarantino has dabbled in so many other genre things. I'd like to see him, A, do something straight up science fiction, and B, do something that's a licensed property. You know, it's it's a corporate piece of IP, and I'd like to see, you know, how much he could play within those confines and what he could do with that. Um, even if, you know, we're saying, oh, this Star Trek movie of Tarantino's exists outside of the regular continuity of Star Trek, in as much as Star Trek has regular continuity... Uh, I would I would be like, yeah, let's do this. I would be really interested to see what he does there. In fact, I'm interested to see what he does with anything, really. But I'm interested, but uh, I don't want to see him do a Star Trek film. Really? Really. Uh. I, and, and I think that's mainly because it has a certain level of the way I see it. Okay. Star Trek is a story about hope and exploration. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until a few years ago that they became action movies. I don't want to see Tarantino come in and fuck with that idea. I would like to see him do something that feels maybe a little bit more hopeful. Because I think most of what he does has a slightly cynical edge to it as I'm thinking about it. Um, that, you know, people are bad, people are going to be violent towards each other, things like that. Um, I would like to see, you know, what he might do to say, well, humanity is going to keep going. I mean, yes, obviously the idea of Star Trek, just the basic concept implies that we get our shit together. We don't nuke ourselves. We, you know, come together as a race of human beings, not just white people or black people or anything. It was just we are all human beings and we're all going to be cool with each other, and go out and explore this, uh, the universe together. Which sounds a little hippy-dippy-ish. V- very, but <laughs> think about the time that Star Trek was created. Yes, 1966. Okay, then. <laughs> um, so I'd like to see Tarantino maybe, I don't know if it's within him to be able to explore that. But I'd like to at least maybe maybe I'd like to just sit down and talk to him about this concept. <laughs> Can we get him on the phone? Or is it too early in LA right now? Um, might be too early. Uh, okay, Sorry. okay, I'll put my phone back down then. Uh, <laughs> but it's always interesting when we see directors being uh, brought in, established directors who have good 
um, clear de- clearly defined sensibilities in their work brought in uh, to work on corporate properties like, say, like Sam Raimi with uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that movie, 70% felt like a Sam Raimi movie. I mean, you had the zombies at the end, uh, zombie Doctor Stranges at the end with the design really looked like deadites from evil dead um you know you had some other things you know the obligatory bruce campbell pop-up and um i'm trying to think of some other uh directors though who really had like distinct styles and we're both kind of pulling a blank here aren't we? no i'm still stuck <laughs> on dr strange okay he came in and yeah he delivered sam raimi but i'm not quite certain he delivered dr strange Doctor Strange is a movie? Yeah. Okay, interesting, because I know we never wound up reviewing that here. I think we were going to at some point, and it kind of got uh, – recording I, dates got away from us. I think but. more people were in – people were interested in, you know, a Doctor Strange movie, and instead what they got was a closeted Wanda movie. And if that was the case, then give Wanda her own fucking movie. True, true. Yeah, that that was definitely a problem with Doctor Strange. If you hadn't watched WandaVision, you were going to be lost a bit yeah. as to what was compelling her as as a character, what was driving her as a character, what her goals were, who those goals were. Like, who are these kids? What? <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, it's, and that's, I think, a danger of the MCU in general, that it can be a little bit too interdependent. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm enjoying everything I'm watching so far. I, you know, i lucky enough that I have time to catch up with all of that. I uh, need to catch up with She-Hulk. I'm like th- two or three episodes behind. And mm-hmm. I didn't watch any of Ms. Marvel apart from the pilot because I was just like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Well, I, I mean, we are going to be seeing her in the Marvels like late next year, early 2024. I can't remember. They've been bouncing dates around on their schedule for a while, so I'm a not i might not be remembering everything properly and i think we are going to see like her and her family and some interaction there again um and i love the family interaction in ms marvel i thought that was i did too great and i also like the fact that they kind of dug into i even liked her brother (laughs) yeah he's a he's a man of faith but he's not like dogmatic and crazy about it no i mean Uh, like i love the interaction between her and her brother mm mm-hmm um, I like that she kind of feels like the redheaded stepchild of the family kind of thing. Like there, there would there was things there to commend it. I just wasn't enough invested in the story to keep going. Okay, okay. Um, She Hulk. I I love Tatiana Maslany, so that was my main reason for watching it in the first place. I mean, I knew who She-Hulk was. I was excited to see She-Hulk happening. Um, her in that role made it all the better. Uh, last couple episodes, I'm like, oh. at this point, I think I'm sticking it out right now for Daredevil. Because <laughs> I know he's getting ready to show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your eyes. That would have been great on a video podcast. I know, I know. A little shifty-eyed. Um, um, uh, uh, he's probably going to show up this week. I figured, because yeah. oh, didn't the helmet pop up last week? 
this week yeah this past week yeah it did mm-hmm. I, I didn't know if you knew that or not and i was trying to like how do i dance around not spoiling oh i saw that, that one that particular piece surprise yeah. at the end of the episode so oh anyways um spoilers for this week's episode of she hawk sorry uh <laughs> wow we saw a helmet <laughs> well still still some people just like to discover that within the show themselves and not I mean, it's a fun moment. I mean, I was sitting here Friday morning on my couch, and and when that that moment popped up, I was like, "Ooh, fun! Yay! It's gonna be next week, maybe, probably." So, um. Anyway, speaking of spoilers, or what? Did you have something first? Yeah, I had a question I wanted to ask okay, you because you mentioned Friday morning, mm-hmm. and technically She Hole comes out on Wednesday, so Friday morning. Oh I wait, no, thinking... I'm sorry, Wednesday. No, morning. no, no, don't. Oh. Don't edit that out. When oh, no, 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 I won't. But. Okay, because I have a question based around Friday morning. Okay. Fridays are when Rings of Power drops. Yes. Well, I have a question for you. Okay. At the end of Rings of Power and the end of House of the Dragon, which one do you think is going to keep going? Oh, you mean the first season? Yeah. Well, Rings of Power already has been ordered to a second season, and Amazon said they're committing to five. Okay. <laughs> so, so unless Amazon were to suddenly decide mid-course to say, yeah, no, you know what? Forget it. Never mind. It's going till five. Um, House of the Dragon's probably going to go at least another couple of seasons. Because um, it's... You know, it started off super strong in terms of ratings. It's a big HBO crown jewel. It's... It's really fucking good. It's pretty good, yeah. Um, It looks good. It's expensive as all hell, though. And that's my biggest question right now. Does David Zasloff, the new head of Warner Brothers Discovery, who has been slashing things left, right, and center uh, in an effort to save money... Um, will he make the calculus that what is being expended on House of the Dragons equal to the worth that is bringing into the channel? It's definitely worth what it's bringing into the channel. Um, I mean, we say, we lo- say that on an artistic level and on no. kind of like an anecdotal level. We don't have access to the. Oh no, we don't have access to, to figures. The financials. We're not in the accounting department. But I would definitely say like it gets a lot of social media buzz, literally after every single episode, mm-hmm. by f- fans and uh, new viewers and such. So just that alone is free publicity. Oh yeah, for the show. And it just keeps rolling after every single episode. I'm the next couple of days. I mean, you could see my Facebook was showing me memes. It was <laughs> in, uh, let's not even get started on TikTok and Twitter. Like they're going to say that this is not just a crown jewel, but it's a property worth investing in because it's bringing in a lot of new viewers. And those who were jaded by the last season of Game of Thrones are finding that they can lick their wounds on the oh. show. <laughs> but at the same time, social media cachet is just kind of a microcosm of the rest of the viewing public. Um, True, but it is a form of marketing. It, it can be, yeah. And I think for a negative flip side, let's look at, unfortunately, what happened to Bad Girl. You have a movie that, you know, at least fandom was interested in, was excited about. 
You had the return of Michael Keaton, which everybody was excited about and talking about. You have Brendan Fraser as the villain in that. Yeah. And just this past week at Venice with the premiere of The Whale, people were like, let's talk about Brendan Fraser for an Oscar. And I feel, you know, we're going to start seeing a larger and larger resurgence of interest in him as an actor as we go. And all of that would definitely have helped Batgirl. Um, and I I think that Zasloff kind of prematurely pulled the plug um, because even he said, you know, well, they were going to make this, a, you know, an HBO movie, but it's too much for an HBO movie so or HBO Max movie. So we wanted to maybe put it out in theaters. But then we looked at it and was like, well, people expect big giant spectacle in their in their superhero movies. And this didn't have the big giant spectacle. And I'm like, not necessarily. I don't want to see a superhero save the whole world or the universe every single movie. That gets tiring. I I prefer maybe like the low-level stakes of the street crime in the original Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck. Not a great movie, but I at least appreciate that, you know, Daredevil wasn't stopping an alien invasion by the end of the goddamn movie or something like that. Um, and I think that you know, even if you look at some like Marvel stuff, they're not, you know, it's not always dealing with, you know, things that are going to crack the universe into. They're dealing with smaller issues. So if, you know, Batgirl is a movie about a girl who is inspired by Batman to become a superhero and she tangles with an arson, uh, uh, a supervillain arsonist uh, who's burning down ghetto slums. I'm fine with that. That's a I mean, if this was a movie that wasn't a superhero movie, it was just, you know, say like a, a vigilante movie um, and put uh, Liam Neeson in there as the person who goes out to stop this arsonist who's burning down the slums or whatever. That movie would be out in a minute. People would make that movie and it would make money. So I don't think that people reject the idea of like low stakes action movies or even low stakes superhero movies. I think that's a amazing misread on the part of Zaslav. I think there's another... Um, yeah, and I'm rattling on too much. I can see no, no, no. you're looking at no, me like, No, I think there's another reason behind it that no one really kind of wants to talk about. Hmm. Michael Keaton as Batman <sighs> returning. I know. Why are, why are we saying let's not do that? Because we don't know if it's going to connect to Flash and they don't know yet what they're going to do about Ezra Miller. <laughs> well, Ezra did have a, a meeting with the studio heads. He said, okay, I'll seek help. I'll make some apologies. And, um, you know, whether he can behave himself for the next eight months, nine months, or however long it's going to be until Flash comes out remains, of course, to be seen. But, man, um, I, I, I hope, he, I hope he gets his shit together. I, I like him as an actor. Me I, too. You know, but, but as I a human, his, he's a little ding-dong. But I think his... Um, his public image has been seriously tarnished in the past couple of years, and I don't think the public trusts him. So I don't think the public will go see the movie. Uh, again, if they do, again, they the will see of... it only for Michael Keaton. And the question is, how much of the audience cares about Michael Keaton? Well, I think, too, I mean, again, we both exist in this bubble of film nerds, and I think, you know— does the Ezra Miller story really play outside of that oh. bubble? It does? Okay, people are all... Okay. Okay, good. Um, I think but... that was one of the kickers for uh, Secrets of uh, Dumbledore, that 
you had the Johnny Depp thing, which mm-hmm. was not good. No. And then you had Ezra Miller. And you also had two other movies that weren't that great either. <laughs> yeah. It... That, but that's more of a <laughs> critic side. I'm talking from fandom side. Mm-hmm. Fandom was going, but we like Johnny Depp as Grindelwald. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, yeah, he's going to be fantastic because it's fucking Mads Mikkelsen. Mm-hmm. But then you had Ezra Miller's issue, and that was that was just another kick in the teeth. You got J.K. Rowling. You got Johnny Depp. Now you've got Ezra Miller. It was just a big fucking snowball of all this horrible, toxic human humanity. Yes, around a, a franchise that is built on humanity and hope. Which I think especially makes it galling and frustrating when you see, like, the shit coming from J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the movies themselves, I mean, yeah, replacing Johnny Depp was a no-win situation. Yeah. I mean, yay, Mads Mikkelsen. I think we win because we get a good performance there, at least. But overall, it's still a... Uh, you know, it's the movie itself is a clusterfuck. Um, Warner's has been plagued not just by Zaslav, not just by the person who was in charge before, but, you know, the person who was in charge before that even, I think. You know, they've just had a series of bad leadership. And it's been frustrating as fans of some of these properties. You know, I'm, oh my God, I've been a DC Comics reader for about, oh, 40 years or so. <laughs> um, and... You know, I know you're a very big Harry Potter fan, and I re- recall once again we will mention your utter disappointment coming out of the uh, was it the screening for the first or the second one? Second. The second one. I thought you were gonna murder the uh, the guy from Ally, <laughs> the advertiser rep. Yeah, I, thought, I was like, don't hurt him. He's nice. He's a nice guy. Really honest. He did make. The I movie. thought you were about to mention the exhibit that's closing on Tuesday, and I can't I get know. to I, that. I feel so bad about that. Yo, know, we weren't able to get down. For- it, honest, that's just a kick in the teeth because I tried the last time I was in New York, last couple times I was in New York, to get to the Harry Potter store, and there was always a line around the goddamn block, and I couldn't get there in time. Mm-hmm. So now I'm missing out on the fucking exhibit, and I just want to fucking scream about it. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I'm keeping my eyes open, though. Hopefully that comes somewhere nearby, like Philly maybe or something as well. Hopefully, like, the next stop isn't, like, Chicago for a year and a half. Well, it's just, it's getting, Although, this is Philly, and it's done, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was oh. at the Franklin Institute. Yeah, yeah, I know that, but usually those types of things move around yeah. the country. Yeah, So, so maybe, yeah, if you want to do a road trip to Chicago, if it goes to Chicago, I will be down for a road trip to Chicago. You just want to go to Chicago. Yeah, I do want to go to Chicago. There's Blues Brothers and Ferris Bueller locations to go and look at and take pictures at <laughs> and then there's all there's a whole city of people to make fun of their bad crappy pizza deep dish what is that bullshit i agree i, I agree on that what the fuck is deep dish it's a casserole yeah exactly it's, it's tomato casserole it's not pizza it's all cheese and 
<laughs> tomato sauce. It's like if I wanted a mouthful of tomato sauce, I would just go eat a tomato. And I do that regularly. I eat them like fucking apples. I know. I've seen you. <laughs> and you've seen the weird face I make at you. Like, what the? F-? <laughs> anyways, um, we are really At least drifting. it won't be mushy. So anyways, as we were saying, <laughs> Woody Allen's retiring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for wandering all over the topic? Um, <laughs> professional broadcasting. Anyways. We suck at this. No, we don't. <laughs> we have fun, and I hope people enjoy listening to this. Um, we have listeners. Yes, we do. Craziness, but... This is what, episode 408? No, it's like 109 <laughs> or 108, something like that. Um. Anyways, let's get back to uh, the other thing we kind of teased at the top of the episode. Clerks, we teased something? Clerks 3. Oh, yeah, we did tease that, didn't we? Yeah, we saw that. A lot of people saw that. Kevin Smith's is doing a, a rollout of that as a Fathom event that was through this weekend. And now he's touring, speaking of touring uh, a movie, I think, he's touring it around the country, doing a Q&A with it, uh, similar to what he did with Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. So check to see if he's coming to your area. Um, if not, this will eventually be on... DVD, Blu-ray, video on demand, Laserdisc, smoke signals, what have you. It's going to be out on all sorts of uh, video and movie watching platforms. Smoke signals. I don't know. Laserdisc? <laughs> How old are you? I would laugh if somebody actually said, you know what, just for fun, because reasons, let's put out our movie on Laserdisc as well. Just kind of like, if maybe if the movie's like a throwback thing to like, the 80s and they said okay we're gonna put out our movie on vhs and laserdisc just as a, like a little special collector's item and like 98 percent of the people who buy it are just fans of the movie because they don't even have a laserdisc player or what have you um i i would be down for that it'd be like yeah that sounds like a fun idea do it oh that's one, crazy that's one of the things i loved about the box set for um first season of stranger things it's DVD, but it's in the shape of a VHS, mm-hmm. like a double disc VHS, and then you have to actually crack it open like a double disc VHS. Double tape VHS. <laughs> yeah, double tape. Thank you. Sorry, <laughs> I was okay. trying not to belch off of the sparkling water <laughs> while talking. But anyways, Kevin Smith, video stores, videos, yes. Clerks Three. See how that all works. Yeah, but the video store is gone now. It's a marijuana shop. It's a pot shop. What? Okay, um, basically, we're going to get, because of the nature of this movie, we are going to need to talk about spoilers. So hopefully, yeah. if you're a Kevin Smith fan, you've already seen the movie. Um, and if you haven't, be warned. We're going to talk spoilers here. And I'm not just talking about a couple of jokes. I'm talking we need to talk about the third act at some point, and we yeah. will. Um, but that said, Jay and Silent Bob running a pot shop in the strip of stores <laughs> – <laughs> with the quick stop is hilarious. I think it's more hilarious of the fact that they're still standing outside they, exactly, dealing. <laughs> exactly. That they have the storefront, but they still stand in front of the store <laughs> and deal it like they've been dealing it for like the past 25 years of their life. Oh my God. That's just, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's, I think it's a hilarious <laughs> idea. Um, it's one of the few new funny ideas in this movie. Um, because I think my major problem with this um, I don't know. Can I call this um 
Austin Powers and Goldmember Syndrome? No, because I actually like this better than Clerks 2. Okay. I, I think it's better. I just think in this film, we're seeing the replay of replay of jokes. And I'm like, yes, I remember this joke. It was funny, you know. And some of it's okay. You know, like, oh, okay, they threw in, like, a reference to um, a line from the Clerks animated series. Um, the Hoth line when they go into the freezer in the back. It's uh. ho- oh, it's Hoth cold in here or whatever it is. That That's a line from the second episode of the Clerks animated series. Um, it felt like very, like, okay, here's what you like again. And I didn't feel like there was a lot of new things there in terms of the, the comedy and the jokes. Now, you could argue maybe, or maybe I'm just making an excuse here, that no matter where you are in the, in terms of working a retail establishment, whether you're just a hired registered jockey or you're the owner of the store, it's always going to be the same thing over and over and over mm-hmm. and over and over again. I would agree okay. with that. I, you know, and maybe that's an argument to be made. But, you know, it just kind of felt a lot of member berries to me uh, with some of these jokes, some of these callbacks. I think here the callbacks needed to be there because we're talking about reliving one's life and the monotony of it happening over and over and over. It's their version of Groundhog's Day. It just okay. doesn't okay. fucking end. It's always the same. And, okay. f- and for poor Dante, it causes him PTSD. Mm-hmm. It, it's... It, he doesn't want to have to go through it anymore. He's tired. It's exhausting. He can't get out of grief. And so I think using that as a plot device of the jokes are still the same 25 years later because we haven't changed and the world around us that we are stuck in in this bubble doesn't change. It's always the same. We're always playing hockey on the roof. Jay and Silent Bob are always next door dealing their pot in front of the store that they fucking own this time. <laughs> it's 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 just it doesn't end. The customers that walk in 25 years later are still the same. They're just 25 years older. Mm-hmm. And then the script for the movie about their life. It's it's it that's insult to injury. It's dirt in the wound. It's just more shit piled on top of the day-to-day life it's Mm -hmm. going back and replaying the best and the worst of the 80s 90s (laughs) well i mean i do like how this movie is basically kevin smith acknowledging and thanking his filmmaking roots yeah um and if that leads him to go on and do something in a different direction that'd be awesome you know definitely this movie has a this chapter feels closed uh feeling to its ending yeah um even though it does kind of have even at that final shot when you pull back and you see um kevin's daughter who's playing jay's daughter um and not in in, this one no no she is yeah she is definitely that's jay's daughter oh really yeah she's playing i can't remember the name of the character now because i've only seen reboot once um, but yeah, that's because remember it was they're talking, it was Millennium, Millennium, yeah, yeah. Um, that's her at the end. She's doing the milkmaid thing. Yeah, that in, was hilarious. In the original movie, do you know who that is? That's Kevin's mother, as the milkmaid. 
at the end. Oh. So so that's Kevin acknowledging, you know, kind of like it's a family thing and it's going to keep going. You know, there there is a there's a, a sweet acknowledgement there. Um, but at the same time, yeah, this movie definitely feels like it is closing a chapter, which also I kind of a little disappointed in because um, I thought the idea that the clerks movies could be like Kevin kind of comedically checking in on his generation, which is also my generation. We're only two years apart in age. You know, kind of like the Seven Up movies, uh, that series of documentaries from Britain. Yeah, and uh, that's it. Doesn't feel like that can's gonna that's gonna be happening like that anymore, unfortunately. Um, but again, let's hold off discussions for the end till the end. Um, overall, though, I think you liked this movie a lot more than I did. I loved this movie more than Clerks 2. And I watched Clerks 2 for the first time the night before. Um, I did like that Clerks 2 showed that, you know, these characters had a lot of promise. And then we open up with this one and they're right back where they were before. That promise is gone because... Okay, spoiler. Becky's dead. Yes. That. Rosario Dawson didn't even make it to full term with the baby. Mm-hmm. Killed by a drunk driver that. while still pregnant. I was like, ooh, that's rough, Kevin, even for you, dude. Mm-hmm. That's dark as shit. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It was. And that was always in place. Uh, yeah, as we may or may not know, uh, a couple years back, Kevin wrote a draft of Clerks 3. This is before his heart attack. He wrote a draft of Clerks 3 that he couldn't get everybody on board for. Rumor is the holdout was Jeff Anderson. Um, and it did have one table read. And I did talk to somebody who was at the table read who said, yeah, it's dark because it starts off with Becky being dead. So that's that I know was a holdover from the original script. Um, I thought that was a genius idea, though. Obviously, the the heart attack for Randall mm-hmm. is new to the material, and I don't know what they did afterwards in that original script. Uh, but here, they go on to Randall decides instead of talking about movies, I'm going to make a movie about my life at the quick stop, and what we see is basically a very fictitious retelling of. Kevin Smith making clerks. Um, but let's let's go back. Why did you think that was a very um, good storytelling move there to kill off Becky off screen beforehand? Because one, Rosario Dawson was probably also shooting ah- Ahsoka at the same time. Uh, so getting her in just for a couple of days, literally she could have shot out her stuff in two, three days max. Um, so for scheduling purposes that's great to we never really see kevin deal with an incredibly serious matter like that like the idea of losing someone close to you and the grief and everything it causes around you as a whole and um i i like that we were stepping away from something that wasn't Dick and fart jokes and romance. The last couple of movies that he has made mm. are about growth. Clerks 2 is about growing up, you know, creating a life, creating a family, 
Um, and even if that family does happens to be your heterosexual life mate, <laughs> um, it, it's all about that. And mm-hmm. then, yes, reboot had its problems. However, Jay and Silent Bob reboot had something to it that none of the prior films had before. Coming to terms with being a father. Um, oh, we're talking the Jersey films because I think I think Jer- uh, the, his view is Universe films because I think Jersey Girl also talks you know deals with him because that's very much him writing about. Yeah, I'm only talking and, view of okay, Universe. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say because Jersey Girl is very much him exercising his. Uh, issues, fears uh, about Harley, about becoming a father himself, which yeah. he had just done. So, but anyways, I'm sorry. Go back. But here, it's it's kind of being an absentee father, and how do I pick up in this child's life? Just what do I do? Mm-hmm. Particularly when they are to an age where I have no say and I have no control over that life at all. So. Where do I fit in? And then here, it's how do I come to terms with losing the people that I care about the most? And that's why I think those jokes need to be there is Dante has never been able to move on. And Randall's only ever been living vicariously through Dante. Okay. So when Dante becomes stagnant and everything around him is played on a loop, of course the same jokes are going to be there. He doesn't move forward with the world. For God's sake, Randall's the one talking about TikTok. (laughs) It was just like, how do you know what this is and Dante doesn't? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's we we start to see a growth of Randall in this movie. He's tired of just staying where he is and i think the the heart attack really kind of just jump starts that but then you realize that when he takes off in his world he leaves dante behind it's not hey buddy you're coming with me just like dante would do with randall it's no this is my moment and yeah i'm gonna drag you in on it whether you like it or not but you're not my partner in this. You're, I, I, I'm giving you the producer credit. <laughs> you're gonna do all the work. Mm-hmm. But there, the there's a disconnect there. Yeah. And I like that shows the amount of selfishness that Randall has at that moment. That he's not thinking about internally what it's doing to his best friend. Okay. Um, which is why that ending is so fucking powerful. It's still a Dante story. Mm-hmm. Clerks is always going to be a Dante story. Yeah. But here it's about a person. It's about Dante kind of losing his way. Mm-hmm. Randall finding his. But realizing their way is kind of each other. Mm-hmm. And letting go. I think letting go is the hardest part of the lesson that has to be taught here. And I don't think Randall really does at the end in that last shot. Does he? Or doesn't he let go? I think there was a sense of calm. A sense of, all right, this is this is my next chapter. This mm-hmm. is This is my new reality. Dante is not here. Elias is with me. I am now Dante, and 
I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether or not there that means he is fully letting go. I mean, the grief is still rather fresh. He just buried him. Yeah. But there, there is a sense of now it's up to me. That's what I got from it. Mm -hmm. I got, this is up to me now. What do I do? But the quick stop's not going to change. So he has to create his own world within it. The customers who come in are still going to be the same 25 years later. Mm -hmm. And they'll be the same pretty much in another 25. And that's why um, I thought it was hilarious to see Harley doing the milkmaid session. I'm like, okay, I, I find it funny that there's always going to be a fucking milkmaid. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I like how Kevin kept it within the family. And, yeah. You know, grandmother to granddaughter. Um, and I do think you see Kevin. Yeah, you see Kevin's mom in the um, the audition sequence. She's the older woman who complains who wrote this <laughs> this foul, filthy stuff. Which, we, we, which I think is cute too. We need an old lady cursing and shit. <laughs> My mom. <laughs> um, and I think though the I think for me a problem with this film is Jeff Anderson and Brian O'Halloran are nice guys. I'm not sure they're strong enough actors to really hit what this film is asking for them. Um, I think Jeff was, with all due respect to Brian, I think Jeff was hitting it better than Brian was. Yes, yes. Brian um, had his moments. When he goes off on Randall, that was perfect. But this movie asks a lot more of Brian as an actor. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I told you, I didn't tell you anything about the movie because uh, I saw it on a screener like a month ago. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I didn't tell you anything, but I did say there was like one part that was like, ugh. Um, and which part was that? Outside of the uh, movies. I don't think where Dante has that breakdown and then he runs away. I don't think that works at all. I don't think that's that. I don't think that's I, I'm sorry. I like Brian, but I don't think that was really good. That was not good. I don't think it was well directed. It felt weirdly awkward when he turns and runs. Um there should have been better coverage of that scene. <laughs> well, if they um, needed better coverage, that's not up to Brian. Yeah, I know. But I'm I'm not sure he quite got to where the scene needed him to be for that. Which which is a shame. You know, again, I like Brian. I think, you know, most of what he does, you know, through the whole franchise has been good. And so it was kind of a, a disappointing to see. It was like, oh, damn it. Um, and there was some other stuff, too, where that were like some weird choices. And I wonder if it's because they didn't get the performances quite right or, or they didn't get the right coverage. There was like one or two exchanges between uh, Randall and Dante where one character would be in kind of like a medium and the other would be in more of a close-up. And going back and forth like that. And then it seemed like then, you know, the, when they cut back to the character, they wouldn't be in a medium. They they would be in the close and the other person would be in a medium. And it makes me wonder if, like, he was building the performance out of a series of takes. And some of the takes – and he's like, well, the best is this. And – you know, so it it just it also might have been a weird. style choice too. It, it might have been, but if it was, it felt weird and choppy, 
and I don't think really kind of served those scenes because you know I found it distracting. I do like some choppiness every now and then, particularly in indie films. I I think that's kind of it's sort of experimental, and I really enjoy that. Um, after I got done with Clerks, I came home that night and watched Breathless. Mm-hmm. Jean-Luc Godard, who is famous for jump cuts and, and close-ups and close-ups, uh, close-ins and close-outs and just kind of speeding things up. and so on. He's very famous for that. But I, I think he does it more with a purpose than maybe I saw here. Uh, I think it depends on the film. Um, I I do like sometimes when people get stylistic and and they're like well let's try this and see if it works um whether or not it does i think that's more up to the viewer it obviously worked in kevin's mind mm-hmm. um speaking of do you remember that beautiful and i'm constantly referencing this to you every time we're talking about a 180 rule that <laughs> piece from moulin rouge where they're spinning the cameras around then they come back in and it's in a close-up version mm-hmm. from the other side of the person Kevin used that fucking same move in Clerks 2. In what part? Outside of movies when Dante and Ran- Randall are having the bitch fest. I think it I think it's about oh, okay, um, okay, okay. I I have a uh, Becky's pregnant or something like that and mm-hmm. the camera's just going around them and it cu- it cuts at one point and on one side of them, and then it cuts to a close-up on the other side of them, and then we're still going around. I was just like, you son of a bitch. You stole that from Baz Luhrmann. And I don't fucking care, because that's just a move I always love. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't think I ever connected that. Oh, gosh. No. <laughs> I have so much to do today. Now you make me want to go back and watch Clerks 2, for goodness sakes. Um, <laughs> Just to see where he took something from Basil Arman, a director you absolutely despise. Do not appreciate. <laughs> uh, yeah. Basically. So it must be a camera move that works. I guess. Hmm. Crossing the 180. You can do it. Yeah. You can bend but... it. You have to... You don't have to convince me about it. You have to convince <laughs> Zach. Your, your director of photography on our projects. Yes. And <laughs> that's the tough argument there, as you know. Oh, one day I'm going to pay homage to that particular scene, and I'm going to do that camera move. <laughs> um, but let's let's get on to the end. Um, yeah. Do you think this movie earns this ending? Yes. Okay. Um, it, I'll admit, I didn't like this movie overall, um, and it's not because of the ending. In fact, it's in spite of the ending, because I thought the ending really does work. Um, but then again, I'm bringing some baggage into this, and not as a Kevin Smith fan, as somebody who is roughly these characters' ages, who had a good friend who you would talk yeah. about Star Wars all the live long day with, uh, who had a massive heart attack and died, um, you know, about two years ago now, a little over two years ago. And when I first saw this, I was not expecting what happens with uh, Dante dying. In fact, 
even when we get the shot of the funeral home and the hearse going by, I was like, okay, is this the lead up to some kind of joke reveal that he survived? So they're driving in a hearse to the premiere of the movie as kind of like a, hey, hey, we couldn't die. You know, this movie couldn't kill us kind of a joke kind of thing, bit of promotion for the movie. I until we got to like the actual shot of the cemetery and the the coffin and everything and the open grave then I was like I lost it. I actually had to go back and rewatch the movie like 20 minutes the the ending of that about like 20 minutes later. I just um so well done there Kevin. Uh <laughs> thanks for making me feel like shit for a day and a half. Uh <laughs> but yeah, so so that you know that's entirely, you know, personal and subjective and it's what we talk about sometimes about bringing our our own lives to criticism and just to movies and how we filter art. Uh, so yeah, I mean, even now I'm just like a little <clears throat> nasty. Uh, yeah, and you know, the second time, I mean, when we saw it together at the theater, I knew this was coming. And, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the scene with him and Becky in the theater watching the movie, holding hands, let's get out of here. And all of a sudden, you heard me go, no. I know. you. Oh, I, no. Could, I could palpably hear your heart shatter into a million pieces. <clears throat> the only way – and it, it, it works because Brian and um, Rosario Dawson have a great chemistry together. Yeah. that's. I think that's one of the highlights of Clerks too. That's what really helps that movie work. Um, and yeah, so that's another thing to, when we find out like literally in the first minute, minute and a half that Becky's dead, um, that, that's another thing that kind of stacks against the movie. It's not in the movie's favor. It's like, fuck, I was looking forward to more of that fun chemistry between those two. And pfft, nope. Um, and the fact that, you know, we do get what, three scenes basically with them together, you know, as dream sequences, Maybe she's visiting him in his dream, actually. Maybe he's just conjuring her her up out of his subconscious. Uh, we don't know. I think – I don't know if I like that ambiguity or not because I think the best way to have capped off that that last scene with where they're walking up the steps of the theater and leaving, mm-hmm. presumably going on to the afterlife together, I think – to make it unambiguous, do you know how you do that? You have an usherette there who opens the door for them. And the usherette is Alanis Morissette. Oh, that would have been good. <laughs> right? That would have been fucking good. <laughs> yeah. Um, That would have been amazing. <laughs> that And that was like my one thought. I was like, oh, man, this is so good right now. I'm like a mess. I'm sobbing. And yet I'm still trying to figure out a way to make this better. <laughs> what, what is wrong with me? Is this an inability to process my own emotions? I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, you're looking at me like, yeah, it is. You suck. <laughs> I, I would never say you suck. I know. I'm joking. But uh, no, I do think that this movie definitely and it earns its ending. It, and it delivers I think, its ending. I think it needed to be that way, too. I think it delivers its ending very much so. Again, personal reasons. The ending needed to be the way it was because Dante was never going to move on. The moment 
Becky and the and and his daughter Grace died, mm-hmm. he became a man lost. Mm-hmm. Also, Grace is Kevin Smith's mother's name. Yeah. Um, so again, it's it's the the film's very much about family and things like that. Yeah, but um, he was never going to 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 move on with his life. He kind of just like I said, he grew stagnant even in his dreams. Rosario Dawson as Becky is just like a cemetery. You couldn't, you couldn't be a little more imaginative. Like he's visiting her at the fucking cemetery. Mm-hmm. There's, he's he's gone. He has nothing left. He is kind of resigned to the fact that his rest of his life is going to be working the quick stop with Randall and. He's just waiting for it all to end. Which which is a shame because Randall discovers, you know, the, his passion for filmmaking. There's that great scene as they're out front and, and then they're framing up the shot. He's watching Randall framing up the it's shots amazing. move the sticks. And that is a great moment of performance from Brian. It's a great right moment um, mo- moment of performance from Jeff as well because you're absolutely believing that he's directing. He he doesn't look like he's mm-hmm. acting. He looks like he's watched Kevin do this a million times, so he knows how to replicate it. Yes, and um, and those moments I felt were kind of like, okay, you still have to get by Randall being you know a complete asshole, and I don't think you're ever going to. Um, but I felt like. If if he could have held on to those moments, that would have been the thing that would have helped him change his life for the better. That um, he and his friend found something new to do that can get him beyond his stagnation. It would have gotten Randall beyond any stagnation. It wouldn't have gotten Dante. I, I think Dante- after fifteen years, Dante was gone, and the fact that. Randall was discovering this new passion, but was dragging their life back up in his face. It was just... It... I think if they got past getting that first movie out, you know, obviously in the kind of like the little voiceover during the credits, Kevin Smith, you know, tells us that Randall continues to go on to make movies. I would think if Dante had stuck by his side, had lived through his heart attack that kills him at the end... And they make a second movie or a third movie. It's Randall suddenly creating stories. And um, I think Dante would have discovered more about um, more that there's more to life than just the quick stop. And that, you know, their friendship and their partnership was evolving and working in a new way. And, yeah, he probably would have still had to deal with Randall being a jerk about stuff. But I think he would have discovered something else that would have kept him going that would have eventually pulled him out of uh, that depression he was in. Yeah. There's only so long that one can be in grief before one just becomes lost, bitter, jaded. If you can't find a way out of it, I don't think you ever will. You just kind of, you stop trying and I watch people do it. So that's how I know that this movie needed that ending. This story is a Dante story, but it's wrapped in a Randall story. And I like that. I like that it was more about Randall this time. It's about Randall's growth. 
And we the last two have been about Dante's growth. Randall was just kind of hanging on to the apron strings. Like, take me along for the ride. I'm going to kick you in the ass while you're doing it, but I'm take me along for the ride. And now it's Randall saying, no, you're coming with me. I don't give a fuck what you want. And Dante's like, I'm out, bro. You want to do this? It's, it's on your own. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, Randall finally fully appreciates the friend that he always had by his side. And now he realizes, now I have to grow up. Which is something Randall never did. True. True. And I think on that note, though, we're going to wrap this up for today. Um, Clerks 3 is currently being toured by the uh, auteur Kevin Smith around the country. Uh, Check uh, your local listings or his website and Facebook posts to find out where he's going to be to screen the movie and then do one of his usual marathon Q&As afterwards. Uh, Always a good time. Remember, you can find us online at bigpicturepod.com, and we are now available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So either use the link in the show notes post or head directly there, search and hit subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a positive review because that always helps us connect with new listeners. We'll be back next time. And if we're in front of these microphones rather quickly, it will be a mid-season review of... The Rings of Power versus House of the Dragon. Two high fantasy series, very expensive, very well produced, uh, that are currently airing on HBO Max and Amazon Prime TV, both derived from literary properties as prequels to the main literary property, which I think is an interesting parallel right there to start our discussion. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, If we don't get in front of these microphones again fairly quickly, uh, this might be a end of the season wrap up on those (laughs) two. Um, Hopefully not, though. I don't want to go that long until we talk again and get to share our time with you folks out there. So thank you so much for that. And that's all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. Snoochie boochies! (laughs) I'm from New Jersey I don't expect too much If the world ended today I would adjust I'm from New Jersey No, I don't talk 